the night has come, when the night has come and the land is dark, and the moon is the only light, and the moon is the only light, and the moon is the only light, we will see. When the Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Weather Together podcast, episode number 23. Today, myself, Carlo, our producer, Lauren, and our host, Marnita, are going to be talking about the subject on everybody's mind, the U.S. federal election. Uh, And just to make sure everybody's on the same page, uh, we have two candidates. Well, we have thousands of candidates, but there's two candidates uh, that are going to win one of them. Uh, One's name is Joseph Biden. Uh, The other one is Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump is the current president, uh, thus he's the incumbent. Uh, Donald Trump is a Republican candidate. Joseph Biden is the Democratic candidate. Uh, Generally, the election is going to go as follows. Either uh, either Joe Biden is going to win, uh, is going to win Pennsylvania, flip Florida or Texas, and take the election, which requires 270 votes uh, in the Electoral College, or Trump will flip Pennsylvania and keep Florida and Texas. And will he will also get 270 electoral votes. Uh, so that's the general, that's, what, that's what's going on right now. Uh, and it's perhaps the most tense election in any of our lifetimes, uh, definitely at my lifetime, but that doesn't say much. Uh, Lauren, I think, had some interesting stats on that that she'd like to share. Yeah, I was listening uh, today to WCCO News, and they opened just talking about how everyone is really nervous about tomorrow. Um, And over half of Americans, about 55%, think that tomorrow is going to be the tensest day of their lives. Um, And they said about 61% of millennials thought this, 58% of Gen Xers and 32% of baby boomers. And as you can see, as people get older, they're a little bit less concerned and or uh, the younger the the voter or the the American, uh, the more concerned they are. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. And they didn't seem to have any information on um, anyone above baby boomers, which I also thought was interesting. And along with that, they said that 67% of Americans just want this year, 2020 in general, and everything that's come with it to just end. Um, Which is is interesting that, you know, I I don't know if after, uh, after January 1st, 2021 hits, if all of our problems will be gone, but I understand. I understand the stress and and just wanting this year to be over. So, And let me add further stress to this stressful situation and talk about uh, another interesting topic, uh, which is the fact that Donald Trump has repeatedly claimed uh, that he does not trust the results of the election if he loses. Uh, And he has really done that ever since 2016, which is the first year that he ran. Uh, And he has repeatedly attack the institutions that we consider fundamental to our democracy. Uh, He coined the term fake news, uh, which is to say he does not trust media that mocks him or otherwise criticizes him. Uh, And he has consistently said that he believes voter fraud, election fraud is rampant uh, and that minorities particularly are abusing the democratic system 
to push out candidates like him who uh, speak the truth and such. Uh, and with that, he has said that if he loses this election uh, by a slim margin, uh, he may uh, refuse to leave the office. Uh, and to many people, that is such an outlandish thing uh, that they simply say, he can't do that. Uh, but the question on people's minds, intellectuals, politicians, uh, and many citizens is, can he? Uh, and the fact is, he might be able to. Uh, and this goes all the way back to George Washington uh, and the first presidents and the founding fathers. The original constitution uh, and our constitution that continues today isn't too specific about things. Uh, in fact, the entirety of the cabinet, the secretary of state, treasury, etc., is not uh, stated to exist in the constitution. So legally they don't exist, uh, but of course they do exist. And George Washington was the first president and he appointed a secretary of state, Thomas Jefferson, and a secretary of treasury, Alexander Hamilton, uh, to run those positions uh, respectively in the federal government, which it caused a bit of an outcry among citizenry because it was not necessarily constitutional. But generally the idea came about that the constitution wasn't specific enough for everything to be constitutional. Uh, and that was called implied powers, which is to say, so long as the constitution does not directly prohibit you from doing something, you can probably get away with it. Uh, and that has been taken to greater and lesser extents. Uh, for example, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Democratic president, uh, he, he ran for four terms. He's the only president to win a third term and the only president to win a fourth term, of course. Um, the general, George Washington resigned after his second term, each term being four years. So he resigned after eight years in office and set the precedent, the unofficial precedent, that presidents should not run more than two terms. Presidents did run more for more than two terms, but they were never able to win. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the first president to win over two uh, terms. And that shattered the precedent. And suddenly people were very scared that we'd have eternal presidents. And so after that fact, implied powers were kind of fought back against. Uh, and the Supreme Court set a new rule that you could only run for two terms. Uh, and later on, implied powers has come through different words called unitary executive authority, uh, executive power, things of the sort that generally come down to the same idea that so long as something is not specifically prohibited, uh, specifically as it pertains to the president, he can do it or she hopefully, <laughs> uh, but he can do it. Uh, and there's nothing specifically that states Trump has to leave the office after the election is over. It's implied because that's how a democracy works. When you're voted out, you leave, but there's nothing specifically that states he can't. And I find that a little alarming, Carlo. Mm -hmm. It is I didn't say that as your co-host. Mm -hmm. Anybody and out there, I see Gary Oftedal and other are out there watching us right now, throw some questions about this. Um, let's, let's challenge Carlo a little about what he's learned about this because, uh, Mm -hmm. Because I mean, what, what do you think about this as a young person who isn't even old enough to vote yet? That does it upend your view of of our representative government? Well, of course, we're taught to believe that we have checks and balances, which generally means that we have a system where wherein if somebody does not do their job or if somebody oversteps their position or their authority, then they have balances and checks 
to keep them in place, to keep their authority right, to keep the democracy functioning. Unco uh, something that is unconstitutional will be made constitutional because not everybody will always be dictatorial, anti-democratic, etc. Um, so who would do that in our case is the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's position is in making sure that all the governmental functions are constitutional and deciding what is and isn't constitutional. Uh, but the problem with that is that Donald Trump's party currently controls the Supreme Court uh, from a six to three margin. Uh, and the fear there is that the Supreme Court uh, may or may not be biased. Uh, hopefully they are not, they are not supposed to be biased but they may or may not be biased towards Trump. Uh, and if Trump does refuse to leave the office, if he loses the election to Joe Biden, uh, what will their decision be? Uh, and how will their political affiliations, past and present, uh, affect their decision? And well, it's scary to think that we live in a time where we have to attack our own institutions uh, those institutions that we consider to be the most democratic and free across the planet because they may end up destroying us and destroying this nation. Uh, but it, that is the world we live in now. Uh, so generally, the proposition that people have right now is for every single person to vote, to make it clear that the people have their decision, that the people have the authority to make that decision. Uh, and that will, will be either Donald Trump or will be Joe Biden. But one of these presidents will take the people's mandate and they will take the executive office because of that. Uh, so that's where we are right now. Um, and I, I think, well, I think I'd like to transition into the idea that minorities uh, have cons consistently been affected by a thing called voter suppression. Uh, and Lauren and Marnita know more about that because they are actually voters, uh, and I hope to be a voter one day, but I am not a voter because I am 14. But um, the idea of voter suppression, uh, I won't mansplain for too long, but the idea of voter suppression is that uh, people, people who are allowed to choose their representatives and such uh, have their voice suppressed uh, for whatever reason uh, and by whatever means. Uh, currently, we have problems with mail-in ballots, uh, which is the ability for people to mail in their vote to the post office, uh, and then the vote will be counted there. Donald Trump has brought up charges that the that mail-in ballots are imperfect, easily manipu uh, manipulated, uh, and thus account for more fraud. Uh, so he has been trying to uh, work against the usage of mail-in ballots, or at least restrict them. Uh, so. I'll let you guys take that across, uh, take the idea of voter suppression from a personal level. I don't know if anybody remembers uh, a couple of episodes ago, we all talked about our, our challenges um, with voting um, during the times of, of COVID. And many of us on the call uh, had challenges with mail-in voting. Um, and or dropping off our ballot at a location near us. Um, this time around, I personally chose to not take any chances. Uh, so instead of trying those options, and I was very thankful that I tried them in March, 
and they didn't go as planned. Um, so I went ahead and voted two weeks ago at the government center, um, 9 a.m. There was nobody there other than me and a couple of my family members. Um, however, hearing what's what's going on now, uh, my sibling and her husband had a two hour wait time on Saturday. They said that something broke. Um, and so people had to wait longer than they were anticipating. Um, and so I, I don't know what's what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, they said that they were, you know the machinery wasn't working. Uh, so they had to pause and everyone had to wait in line. And that was in the suburbs where there were less people voting. So I am a little bit nervous to see what happens, especially in uh, more urban communities or communities of color in the city where there's more people um, that have to go out and vote. And one of the, the other things that I heard on the news um, that I thought was interesting was that they're anticipating um, that more of Biden's supporters will vote early and that more of Trump's supporters will vote on the day of. Um, so it's going to be interesting watching those numbers come through. Um, but I know that Marnita also had some experience just this past year too. Well, you know, so first of all, there was an article in the New York Times this weekend that said that the average black person who particularly lived, uh, understand that if you live in a, if you're a, if you're a raisin and rice, which kind of, I grew up being a raisin and rice, as I always said, you know, um, um, and that's not brown rice, that's white rice, in case you didn't get the, the reference, um, that but if you live in a black or a brown neighborhood, that black and brown people on average who live in black and brown neighborhoods have to wait 29% longer to exercise their franchise to vote. So, and particularly spaces that um, the Voting Rights Act, um, it, in 2018, um, the Senate allowed the provision um, where you could not be harassed at the polls, for instance. Since 1964, there's been a provision that you could not be harassed at the polls. And in 2018, it ran out. Um, we saw some of that behavior this weekend in North Carolina, where people were peacefully assembling. Um, yes, they were blocking traffic for exactly eight minutes. They had permits and the police swarmed in um, actually used um, tear gas, chemical weapons, uh, and uh, eventually all of them were allowed to vote that could. Uh, but I was troubled to see so many people, so many dominant culture folks say things like, well, they were blocking the roadway, whereas my understanding is, and we're just reporting things we know and we've heard and we've seen, we are, Marnita's table is completely nonpartisan, but we are engaged in equity. And is it equitable to have to wait 29% longer to vote than somebody with white skin or who lives in a white neighborhood? Is that fair? Is that equitable? Like, do you think out there who are watching, we have a few people who are watching, is it equitable? Is it fair? Um, and do you want to support? Is it okay? Like I wouldn't, I can't support personally a candidate 
who would think that was okay. Um, that would be a disqualifying thing for me to vote for somebody who thought it was okay that because I am fabulously melanined, um, that I didn't have the same, that I had to pay a different tax. Dare we say, Carlo, a poll tax um, to be able to actually um, cast a ballot. And um, in New Jersey, Washington State, where I'm from, Texas this weekend, um, there were many Trump supporters who blocked roadways longer than eight minutes, longer than the eight minutes that happened in North Carolina to honor the death of George Floyd. Um, and the police refused to do anything. And so I really wanna remind people that you aren't just voting for a Supreme Court, which is important. You're not just voting for a president. You're not just voting for a senator or a house representative or a local representative. Um, in March of this year, I'm a Pisces. My birthday's March 15th, which is the Ides of March. Caesar beware, the Ides, the Ides of March. By the way, that's an AP English reference there for you there, Carlo. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Just a little extra nugget of knowledge. Actually, we should actually call, like we should have like little, we should have like a little dancing nugget, a nugget of knowledge. Sorry, uh, I digress. You know how I am. I digress a lot. But I went to get my driver's license renewed on March 2nd or 3rd of this year. And I stood in line for two hours. Um, and I got up and I got all the way through. I did my eye exam. I did everything, was fine. I've had a driver's license in the state of Minnesota since 1996. I had a California driver's license before that um, from like, I don't know, 1982 or 83. Um, and they stopped and said, no, we won't give you a driver's license. And I, I was like, wait, what? And now I didn't realize, like this was actually right before COVID lockdowns happened. So, um, Lauren will remember this. We were supposed to be going to the Lehigh Valley to do an all-day presentation. I had a major presentation in San Diego. I was literally from like March 10th to I think April 15th, not even going to be back in the state of Minnesota. So I was going to need a driver's license to get on flights and to rent a car if we needed one, things like that. So it wasn't just a matter of, oh, come back another day. It was like, if I didn't get it this day specifically, there wasn't another day. And um, they said, oh, your name does not exactly match with your social security card. It is a new federal requirement that your name has to match exactly with your social security card. I now have heard, and we are uh, out of here, um, there's a high chance that this may be a national case soon, but about a third of people and basically poor people, black and brown people, um, I came out of foster care. It wasn't just the easiest thing to get my name to match my name on my social security card. So my name on my social security card was Marianita, which my white foster parents decided sounded less ethnic than Marnita, right? So here again, like it's the multiple ways that racism and that 
play into the story, right? I ended up in the foster care system because my white biological mother didn't want anybody to know they had black in the family. My body was still evidence of a felony when I was, you know, until I was six years old in 17 states. That's how I ended up in the foster care system. Then my third foster family decided the name Marnita was way too ethnic. So on my social security card, they put down Marianita, even though it was never my legal name. Um, so here I am as age 58, a CEO of a company. I have a passport. I have TSA pre-check and global entry. In other words, I have more than enough proof of citizenship. I hold a mortgage. I pay taxes. You'd think that something to do with your social security card would have something to do with the taxes you pay, that that would be correlated and what name had you been paying your taxes in? Because, you know, most people don't want to pay their taxes in another person's name, right? But anyway, the laws are such. And they said, nope, we can't give it to you because it doesn't match exactly. So I asked to speak to somebody and they said, they made me wait and then a man took me into an office and closed the door. And he demanded to know why my name on my social security card did not match with my name on my driver's license. Um, it's kind of traumatic, but he ended up physically assaulting me at the DMV. And then the security guard said that if I ever came back there, they would call the police on me. Um, it was quite a dramatic thing, but I was just asking, being that this is a new thing that they had instituted, um, you know, could I have a one month extension to go get my social security card so it matched? Um, and I felt no reason or need to tell the state guy why my name didn't match. What, what right does he have to know that I was a foster kid and I had a disrupted traumatic childhood, right? Like, so here, just an every day, I'm out. I'm a United States citizen. I have proof of citizenship because I have a passport. I have other documents. None of them are acceptable. So I have to get my social security card changed. There's only one office in the city of Minneapolis to do that. I had to stand outside in 26 degree weather for five hours before I went inside for two hours before they informed me I didn't have the right documentation. Even though the documentation on the social security website said what I could bring and I thought I had everything correct. Um, and I just got lucky that I got married in the same county where I was doing this. And weirdly enough, although I proved I only showed my driver's license to get married, my driver's, my marriage license had my name being name before marriage, Marnie to Beatrix Schradel, name after marriage, Marnie to Beatrix Schradel, even though that didn't have anything to do with my birth certificate or any other documentation, they ended up accepting that, but I had to go down to the county office. I had to, and then of course, it, I also got duplicates of my, of, my, of my birth certificate and other things realizing like, wait, like it's this easy to strip you of your identity um, that it took me 20 hours of time total to get a driver's license this year. And that's what it took me 
as a middle-class educated black woman who's the CEO of a company who has 20 hours to stand outside in the cold, who has the $20 that's the filing fee for the marriage certificate to get certified that has, you know, when you realize the hoops that were placed there. And I have white friends who say, but Marnita, it's so easy to get an ID. But in fact, um, it's easy to get an ID if your mom and dad live in the same house you grew up in and they have a little box with your lock of first baby hair and they have your little thing that got clipped off your arm. I bet your mom has all of this, Carlo. Uh, a little box and it's got like your little thing that the babe, I have this for my, cho my child, Elijah. Um, but I didn't have that life. I was in foster care. I, I was lucky. I have Mike the blue dog and Leo the lion. Those are the two things that went with me from home to home. Um, my well-loved stuffed animals. Um, but I didn't really have identity papers. And so this idea that those of us and black and brown people are more likely to have those disrupted lives. Um, and so it becomes easy to say, well, why can't you just get that? Well, it's not, everybody can't stand outside in 26 degree weather. Not everybody has the coat and the gloves and the hat to be able to stand outside and understand you have to stand in line, right? For five hours. Like, what if you can't stand? What if your ankles, what if you're 90 years old? Like, you know, who are we disenfranchising with this? Um, and I really thought it, I think the law had more to do with, um, undocumented people, but then again, it turns out undocumented people probably aren't in trying to match their social security card with their, so it really is only catching people who are um, documented, but have trouble proving who they are. So that was a long story. I, I don't know if you found any interest or if you, if anything stood out to you about that story, but that's why it matters who you vote for, because if somebody thinks that you should have to go through that to get a driver's license. Um, what kind of laws do you want to live under? That's being again like fraud, voter fraud. They're saying there's a, there's not there's no evidence of voter fraud. Oregon and Utah, one is a red state, one is a blue state. Both of them have been voting by mail for years. You get a you get your ballot a month and a half before and a list of all the issues you can sit down at your table. Um, these are things that should concern everybody, no matter who you're voting for. Um, and so that's what I have to say. Uh-huh, and this uh, disenfranchisement of minority voters is of course all the, gone all the way back to uh, the emancipation of slaves. Well, the emancipation, because uh, many of them were not, were kept in slavery uh, for a long time after, and many of them were simply became sharecroppers after the fact, but uh, after they stopped being legally denominated as slaves, let's, let's call it that from now on. Uh, after that, uh, when they were provided, the, many of them were not provided the right to vote, uh, but those that were, uh, they, didn't, they were not educated properly, uh, which meant that they could not properly, uh, they could not properly make the decision, the democratic decision that they were guaranteed. 
they were not encouraged to go vote. They were threatened by police officers uh, and other paramilitary organizations such as the Ku Klux Klan. If they did vote, they would be killed or otherwise lynched. Uh, and generally they were disenfranchised totally. Uh, and that continues today. For example, in Texas, uh, they've set a rule where each county uh, will have one single ballot box. Uh, and to put that in perspective, uh, in the state I live in, called uh, California, uh, if that rule were applied here, that would mean the city I live in, Los Angeles, or the county I live in, Los Angeles, uh, they would have one ballot box for 10 million people, uh, which is all the more reason that we need mail-in ballots. Uh, not just for the fact that it's an efficient and more modern way to vote, uh, but because many people are not able to get to the ballot boxes or they don't know where they are, they don't have a car, uh, the bus doesn't go there, the train doesn't go there, whatever. Um, and if uh, specifically speaking to young people, but really anybody who's listening right now, uh, this, the importance of participating in politics cannot be overstated uh, because whether or not you like it, uh, this is the world we've inherited. Uh, this is the nation we've inherited as a people. Uh, and the fact is, uh, Texas has that role uh, and that role dates back to the institution of slavery. Uh, and the fight still goes on against these institutions that predate us. Uh, and I'd like to add a quote from the first citizen of Athens, Pericles, Quote, just because you don't take an interest in politics doesn't mean politics won't take an interest in you, end quote. And it certainly has. Uh, and that goes for, and that is the case if you're a heterosexual, white, rich male. Uh, but it's, all, it's especially the case if you look like any of us on this table right, right now. Uh, because politics has most certainly taken an interest in us. Uh, so, you know, if you haven't voted already, you have to right now <laughs> because it's happening right now uh this is your last day uh well well tomorrow tomorrow, tomorrow yeah, is tomorrow. your last day but this is your last day before the last day this is voting <laughs> eve yes uh, so yeah get ready uh and that cannot be overstated uh seriously if you are watching this right now and you have not voted vote right now uh, go vote yes because somebody is going to become president uh, wh whether you like it or not, whether you're ignoring the election or not, somebody's going to win. Uh, and that person can be somebody you want. It could be somebody you don't want, but somebody will win. Well, let's go back to something else you just said. I think, uh, you know, Carlo and, and Lauren is, is that I feel like over and over in my lifetime, modern politics is a relitigation of the civil war. That literally, you know, for the first time in many years, when I walk in my little white, all white town that I grew up in, or that people are okay with people saying to me, go back to where you came from. And by the way, let me tell you, when you come from a little all white town in the Pacific Northwest, with the largest population of Ku Klux Klan west of the Mississippi, when you say, I came from here. I'm back where I came from. In fact, like they don't find it as charming and as amusing as I find it to say that. Okay. Like they, like, you know, um, and I do have to say that there is a narrative that real Americans live rurally, not urban, real Americans, um, are white, not black and brown, real Americans. Right. Um, and that, 
and even the the idea that we would be talking about our frustration with not being exercise able to exercise our franchise um, as opposed to making us extraordinary Americans and patriots for having this conversation. We are told, you know, if you don't like the way it is, just leave. Well, I'm a person, if I don't like how something is, I roll up my sleeves and lean in. I do something, right? Um, and, you know, so, you know, the electoral college, some of these things about um, the ways in which we've been stripped of, of agency. We've been stripped of the ability. Um, and I'm concerned because often in the media, um, oh, that's lovely. Thank you for Rebecca Riley. Rebecca Riley is out posting on our um, Marnita's Table uh, page um, some information if you'd like it, if you're being intimidated at the polls or how it's illegal. So thank you out there, um, viewer, Rebecca. Um, for sharing that ah, sharing that information, that is really important. Um, that you know that we that it is important. The first thing I did on the day I turned eighteen, I was in San Francisco, the Bay Area. Literally before I went to work, I went to the San Francisco courthouse and registered to vote on my eighteenth birthday. I got up early, um, I got all dressed up and I registered to vote. And I voted in every election since I was 18 years old. And my first election was the Ronald Reagan election in 1980. And I was kind of, there was a third party candidate that year, Jack Anderson. And young people liked him and he was nobody like Jimmy Carter. Um, and it was actually the year that they changed the rules that you could not call the winner of the election before all polls closed nationwide. And they did it because in California, they you know declared Reagan the winner at four or five in the afternoon and most people hadn't voted. And there were lots of other things on the ballot. So that's the other thing to remember. We're voting for presidents, but we're also voting for school <laughs> You know, yeah, Lauren, talk. I can see you, you're thinking. I see those words coming out. Come on oh, out here. Okay. <laughs> well, judges uh, was was the, the one um, that all me and my friends were back channel texting about and trying to share information, especially my friends who work in uh, the judicial system as lawyers and or other professions. Um, and I think all too often, sometimes we wait until the last minute because we know who we're voting for for president. And so we don't always do our research. And so that is something that if you haven't voted, you still have time to definitely make decisions for yourself and research people. Yeah, and every state is different. Like on the state ballot in Minnesota right now, I don't know what your ballot is like in California, Carlo, but like there's only one judgeship that's actually running with two people opposed. Every other judge is running unopposed. Um, school boards make decisions about what books can be in schools. Uh, you know, um, you know, they, they're the people who decide whether you're going to get to read um, Pericles or you're going to have to read Anne Rand, right? Um, well, Pericles uh, wasn't a writer. 
Well, you know, whatever the quote you just did, but there's books about, thank you, but you knew my larger point, right? Which is whether you're going to get to know what Malcolm X said or, you know, so to recognize that that some of these things, um, for people who think politics don't matter to them, it matters. Well, you know who was an ancient Athenian writer? Plato. And Plato said, uh, quote, one of the punishments for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed by your inferiors, end quote. Uh, and I like that you brought up state elections and more municipal elections because they are all important. Uh, and one of the most tense elections right now in LA uh, is district attorney. Uh, and we have Jackie Lacey uh, on one end. Uh, really, that's the only pe person people really care about. Uh, the people do not like Jackie Lacey. Uh, and specifically left-wing people do not like Jackie Lacey. Uh, and the reason they don't like Jackie Lacey is, uh, well, it's gone on for many years. Uh, but particularly it's heightened throughout the uh, throughout recent months or the last seven, eight months, really. Uh, George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, et cetera, all the others, there's too many to name. Uh, those protests have uh, heightened people's concerns with Jackie Lacey's district attorneyship. Uh, she has protected the police to an extent many people find egregious. Uh, and I'd like to say that uh, LA is a county that has 10 million people, as I already said, uh, which is a huge population, a population larger than many countries. Uh, so district attorney, or really any position in LA is a huge deal. Uh, it, will, it will affect thousands of people's lives up to, as I said, 10 million. Uh, so when we talk about uh, elections, we don't just mean Joe Biden and Donald Trump, although that is of course significantly important. Uh, we mean every election at every level uh, because it affects us all. Uh, well, it doesn't necessarily, you guys don't live in LA, so Jackie Lacey doesn't necessarily affect you, but it affects me and it affects everybody here. But also what you're talking about, Carlo, is the pipeline. I read a couple uh, articles recently that really stood out to me. One said, none of them were written by, uh, oh, yep, Lauren just said my brother and nephew do live in LA, which by the way, you should meet her brother and nephew, don't you think, at some point? Um, anyway, but that, I forgot what I was going to say. Dang, it was deep too. It was really good. Uh, it happens sometimes. We get old, Carlo. I'm 58. My brain just goes sometimes. Um, but that that elections, oh, I know what it was. I was talking about pipelines, right? So I read a couple articles. Under George W. Bush, I think, um, the AG's office, the attorney generals, uh, all the state attorney generals are, no. Who's under bar? There, those are all the attorney, the, the attorney generals, right? Like all the offices all over the country that do the federal. Under George W. Bush, 73 of 85 of them were white or 95 of them were white. Um, under Obama, something like 51 were white. So in other words, just having a black person who was liberal or more liberal in the White House 
Um, their network was wider. The way they looked at the world was wider. That the federal attorneys generals have never been, has not been as white as it is right now since something like 1982. Something like, like something like 85 of 93 are white men. How does that impact the cases they take, what they look at, how they think about the law? Uh, sheriffs are another thing that's on the ballot in a lot of your communities. Sheriffs go look, very much come from the slave patrols, but they actually come from old England. Remember the sheriff of Nottingham, which by the way, remember the sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood wasn't a good dude. Like, just want to point that out. He was like, he was the bad guy. The sheriff of Nottingham ran around protecting, you know, wealth against the people in poverty. Just want to remind you of that little story, Robin Hood. Um, anyway, so the sheriff's department though, 90% of the sheriffs in the United States are white men. 90%. And the person who looked at the data said, at this point, you know, you, you almost can't, like for you to be that white in a rap, in a diversifying world, like an institution that is, that is that white um, has to want to be that white since so many, so many people who become sheriffs and um, so many people who become police come out of the military and the military is actually fairly diverse. And so looking at these things, go vote because it's not just the president and the vice president and federal, um, you know, the Senate and the house and those things. It is your local sheriff Go read their platforms, learn what they're about. You know, if they aren't concerned about police brutality, if they're not concerned about the issues you're concerned about and get concerned about the issues, damn it. I mean, it matters. It matters to you to be concerned. At least I think so. And I, that leads into the idea of the base and superstructure interacting, uh, which is a more philosophical concept, a theoretical concept. And the idea is that the base, which is the economy, uh, the political system, the bureaucracy, things of that sort uh, on, are on one end, uh, they interact and circle with the superstructure, which is your culture, your art, your music, uh, your, how people think, their language, et cetera. Uh, and how the base and superstructure interact, they mold each other. Uh, and in any country that's the case. Uh, and you can see that in like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, as we were talking about earlier, FDR was so popular that he was the first president to win more than two terms. He was so popular uh, that after the fact, his party was called, his party, which is the Democrats now, were called New Deal Democrats because that was his major policy. Uh, and, or Roosevelt Democrats, even uh, John F. Kennedy called himself a New Deal Democrat. Uh, and for example, when Ronald Reagan was elected, the Republicans became the Reagan, uh, Reagan Republicans or the Reagan party. Uh, and now this election is extremely important because many people want to say that the Republicans have become the Trump party, uh, the Trump Republicans. Uh, and, and in fact, of this year, because we did not have a traditional, um, traditional, um, what do you call them? The conventions. Um, for the first time in my lifetime, the Republicans have no party platform 
other than whatever Trump wants. And the importance of that is in the fact that if Trump wins, then his ideology uh, will not only continue to take place under his presidency, uh, but it's going to continue molding the country and it's going to continue molding the Republicans uh, for generations to come. Uh, like I said, for Roosevelt, uh, his ideology continued up to the, uh, Kennedy and even beyond. Uh, and with Reagan, his ideology has really continued up to uh, Trump now. Uh, Trump was really the only person to go against the grain and start saying things like uh, war veterans. I like war veterans that don't get caught and things like that, that Reagan would most certainly not be saying. Uh, so when you think about it, it's not just you're not just voting in Reagan and you're not just voting in Biden. You're voting in the ideology of the Democrats and the Republicans uh, for the next uh, decades, I'd say. Uh, and there's an importance to that that we don't really get. Uh, well, you're going to be, based on the age of the Supreme Court, you're going to be in your 30s or 40s before the Supreme Court is going to change, most likely. You, Carlo, at age 14, you know, it's going to be, um, and, and, you know, some of the things, I heard a, an analogy of the rubber band. You know, things stretch and stretch and stretch, and then they snap back to the way they were. Um, that's what the book White Rage, that's what, that's what, you know, the color of law, um, the new Jim Crow, those books tell us that every time we get rights, they get like, there's a snapback. Oh, you know, and I, I'm seeing a difference. I'm seeing white police officers surround black and brown people on the streets who are peacefully protesting while literal people are running another political party off the road. I don't mean that like, that's a theoretical thing that was happening all weekend. And um, my understanding is the FBI is looking at it, but local police officers weren't. And what does that mean for somebody, you know, are you afraid to vote where you are? Like, I'm not, I, I'm not afraid to vote where I am. Um, but I will say in 2004, bless you, bless you, bless you. And you need to stop washing your hair with that. That's what I got to say, Lauren. You can't see Lauren right now, but every once in a while I say stuff to Lauren on podcast and Lauren goes, oh, um, Lauren's sneezing. And she's sneezing because something that she uses to wash her hair makes her sneeze. But she's like, it just happens when I wash my hair. It's like, because something in it is making you sneeze. Um, lavender was my thing. Like, and you know, they put lavender in everything, Lauren, like they put it in every, in fact, you gave me some once for my birthday. And I, and I was, I was like, I didn't want to be like, this has to leave my house right now. Like, but if you let somebody give you a gift of like lavender and you don't tell them that you're going to end up with like more gifts of lavender at some point. So anyway, it's, it, it, it bonded us to each other uniquely. Um, but that voting and the ability to vote, you know, it's, there, there are sort of no, there are no, there are no down ballot, up ballot. There are none, none of these things are um, without importance. I read another article this weekend that was about the 2017, you know, let's see, 2017, you know, so you're, um, 
You're 14. So you were 11 years old when this law was enacted, Carlo. It was the Republicans 2017 tax law. Well, if you look at it, it says in 2027, people who make less than $100,000 a year will be paying something like 2.6% more in taxes. And that is people who make $15,000 a year. Like it impacts all the way down to people in abject deprivation and poverty. While people who make more than 100,000 a year will get a big tax break. They built it that way so that even some of their supporters or even people who think, oh, this is great. Well, no, it was great. If you're making more than 100,000 a year, and I might as well just admit it, I'm one of those people. I should pay more in taxes. That's, I should, okay? Like that is actually something I should do. Um, and so this these are laws that they are making. Hey, I know that you've lived under the specter of a horrible illness in your family for and having to go through fighting insurance companies for your brother to live, Carlo. I know that. You know, the American Health Care Act is on the ballot this year, if you don't know it. The ability for somebody to stay on their parents' health care until they're age 26 is on the ballot. Um, if you don't know that, you should. And if you think you're going to stay healthy for the rest of your life, well, at any moment, you could fall down, break your ankle, um, discover that there's something in your shampoo that's making you sick. Um, so... Lauren, I, I can feel you thinking, but I love to hear your voice. So talk for a while. Yeah, I, well, I think what's interesting is that these past few years, what's definitely changed is that we talk about politics everywhere that we go, whether it's the gym or the grocery store. And I don't really want that to stop. Maybe it doesn't have to be as much complaining, but still talking about what the school board is talking about passing, you know, what the Supreme Court is doing. I think that that's actually really important. And I, yeah, I, I don't want that to necessarily go away no matter who wins. I, I think that my generation got a little bit comfortable growing up. We think that our parents' generation and those before um, had done all of the work that needed to be done for us to have all of our freedoms. And we can clearly see that that's not necessarily true. Um, and so no matter what happens on Tuesday evening, I hope that we can all continue to stay involved and, and be active. Um, and one other thing you were talking about, Marnita, was um, you know this, this whole like rural versus urban thing. And it's really interesting because growing up, I would go back to where my, my dad is from uh, every summer. And it is a all black rural community in the hills of Tennessee. And I hadn't actually thought about um, how scary it might be for them right now to be voting. It, had, it just hadn't crossed my mind what my cousins might be going through. And so I'm definitely going to be checking in on them just to make sure, you know, that they're okay, but 
I think that people just have this idea that we're, we're not in those areas. And the reason why my family is there is because uh, my great, 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 great grandmothers were freed on that land. And so that's really the only land that they know um, as being the origin of my family. That's, that's all we have. And so that land and, you know, that, that community is very important to us. Um, and I've just been seeing all over the news, you know, scary black and brown people in the, in the city um, and the, the suburban moms that, uh, that are afraid of, of their livelihood. And I don't know, I, I just, I don't see that. It's interesting. I live in the city, but, uh, th this past weekend, my nephew came over and, uh, they were having a little parade outside in front of the house. And he's like, wow, have you noticed how much your neighborhood is gentrified? And I was like, yes, 14 year old, I have noticed. It's interesting that, that you're noticing. Um, and so this, this urban rural narrative that's uh, being told to us that we should be divided and uh, that we don't have anything in common. I don't know, that doesn't really exist in, in my family. Um, and so I was thinking about that when you were talking. And then um, also for folks who are nervous or having a hard time and just have a lot of anxiety about what happens tomorrow, you know, I, I was thinking about how if my room is dirty and I'm stressed about it, you know, a good cry, a good meditation might help, but at the end of the day, I'm gonna have to clean my room to really feel okay. <laughs> and so, you know, do what you need to do to manage tomorrow uh, emotionally, but just know that the work isn't anywhere near being done and that this is just uh, what you do if you are a citizen and if you care about yourself and your community. And I think that's so important. This is what you do. This is what we do as civic people who are civically engaged. Are you looking forward to the day you can vote, Carlo? Um, I don't actually know. I, I believe, I believe I'll, be able to vote when I'm 18. I'm not certain though, uh, but I, I think that the year that I'll be able to vote is going to be like, yeah, yeah, it should be. It should be <laughs> math. I'm, I've never been good at math, but it should be. I get math. Yes. Yeah. Never been good at math, uh, but it, it should be. So um, I think, well, yeah, well, that I, should be another presidential election. Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, uh, we're, we're heading in a direction of a very polarized world and uh, I'm going to have to be, and I, it seems like I'm going to have to be dealing with the dichotomy of Trump Republicans and uh, the sort of Obama Democrats. Uh, and Although I got to tell you, um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, uh, what the day I'm looking forward to Lauren is the day I get to vote for Carlo. That's the day I'm looking forward to. Counting the days. Counting the days. Lauren and I are counting the days until we can vote for you. Uh, well, I'd like to uh, add to the fact that 
because uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, policies domestically and the election domestically. Uh, yes. There's, there's, of course, an importance uh, in internationalism uh, and the fact that the United States is the world's strongest power and really has been since 1919, the end of World War I. Uh, and the fact is we have our fingers in every pie in the world, uh, just about literally. Uh, with our North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the United Nations being on the Security Council, uh, etc. Uh, we affect every single nation and our election will as well. Uh, and I'd just like to say that Trump has emphasized a policy of, I'd say, jingoism, extreme nationalism, uh, and Biden has emphasized a policy of lesser nationalism. Uh, Trump has encouraged people that we are allied to uh, to increase their military spending in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization in particular. He has uh, demilitarized uh, our presence in Europe uh, while encouraging other members to, as he says, take up the bill, sort of, uh, since we, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization has really been our sphere of influence for a long time. Uh, and thusly, we've taken up most of its, uh, most of its expenses. Uh, but Trump has encouraged a policy of allowing the other nations to mutually take up the expenses, uh, which has functioned, but it has disillusioned us from these nations who are not necessarily used to that. Uh, he is also most particularly uh, been encouraging rapprochement with unsavory international characters uh, and uh, particularly Erdogan in Turkey uh, and well, there's, there's currently a very significant problem with Armenians uh, and a recurrence of genocide against Armenians. Uh, yes. And it, it's, it's unclear what exactly either candidate plans to do, uh, but we know for a fact that uh, Trump has been, that at least Trump has uh, encouraged friendly relations with Erdogan and uh, Erdogan's Turkey. Uh, so, you know, keep keep the, this, this, this election does not just affect us, it affects the entire world. Uh, so keep international, international relations and international uh, dilemmas uh, in your mind, uh, because uh, whether you like it or not, uh, our election will result in, it, it will affect million, it will affect really 7 billion people, uh, not just 300 million, uh, which, you know, to the human mind doesn't sound too significantly different, uh, but trust me when I say uh, it's literally a thousand times different, uh, actually more than that. Yeah, and it's interesting. So, Michelle, shout out to you, um, who's Armenian. Um, actually, I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, walking down the street, and there was a, an amazing rally, a car rally of Armenians um, just driving in Chicago, reminding us that this um, genocide, you know, we think some of these things are ended, right? Like there was a genocide of Armenians. And in fact, um, you know, our country has been loath to admit it happened. Like, you know, so these, some of these, <laughs> I feel in many ways, like we're still fighting the civil war. Um, Armenians are still having to deal with genocide. You know, like some of these things that are happening are actually, um, I don't know. I don't even know how to say it, but it feels like some of the, the issues that we're talking about and some of the things that are happening are things that have been happening for a while, if that makes sense. Uh, well, I think it's interesting that you bring up the idea that we're still fighting the civil war, 
because in many ways we still are. Uh, and the fact of the matter is Lincoln uh, encouraged that uh, sort of. Uh, after the Civil War ended, uh, he and his vice president's idea was not to uh, necessarily be too harsh on the uh, Southern states. In fact, uh, they only needed 10% of the vote to rejoin uh, the Union. Uh, which my problem with it is not that the vote was not larger, but that he even gave them the chance to say no, uh, because they're, uh, because the Confederate states idea was not uh, states rights or anything. It may have been, but it was state rights to own slaves. Uh, oh yes, I, that is one of my pet peeves is when people say it was about economics. Yes, it was about the economics of slavery. Like, and in fact, have you know, one of the things I, one of the assignments I give to many of my dominant culture friends, um, and family um, who say things like that is make them, I go and make them read all the articles of succession. Because um, in the first paragraph of all of them, they basically mention the words slavery and white supremacy. Um, and so it's one of those things where I'm like, do you not know our history at all? Like, I find it very frustrating. Uh, and to add to that, the fact is the only states' rights that the Confederate states affected was they removed the states' rights to uh, rev uh, to abolish slavery, uh, which, you know, is interesting. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, the idea was that uh, Lincoln was never anti-slavery. The Republicans were never anti-slavery. The Democrats were never anti-slavery. Their ideology was one of unity. Uh, the, all of them wanted one United States, except the people who didn't, <laughs> those people were Confederates. Uh, but the people who wanted one United States weren't necessarily anti-slavery. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was repeatedly quoted as having said that uh, if he thought sla ending slavery would end the war, then he would have done it. But he didn't think that that, that he didn't even think that this war was about slavery. Uh, and the fact is that he did not want to abolish slavery. He did not want to fundamentally upend the idea that the Confederates could be an independent nation. Uh, he just wanted one United States. Uh, and because of that, we live now in a world where we have a skewed perception of what the Civil War was. Uh, we have a skewed perception of Robert E. Lee and other such generals and soldiers. And, and by the way, that's by intention. That's not by accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a skewed perception of what the Confederates' ideologies uh, ideology was. Uh, and because of that, we still are fighting the Civil War. We still are fighting uh, to unite the states uh, because Lincoln never attacked the fundamental institution that caused the Civil War. Uh, he never wanted to. He never did. Uh, and so we're still fighting that. Uh, and we still have to fight that, uh, which is further reason to go out and vote if you haven't already. Right. I'm not, if you needed more reasons, we're telling you, you know, and so these are the things that, you know, I, I have a large white rural family. Um, they think I'm overly emotional about and they think I make up stories about racism. Um, I sometimes feel very isolated. Um, and going back to something that Lauren started with, do you have a plan? Um, do you have a plan? for how you're going to deal with Wednesday if the election doesn't turn out the way you want it to. I, I feel like what I've learned in the last four years is something I knew. My country is racist and favors rich people. <laughs> like I kind of knew those things. Um, but then what are you gonna do to get up off the ground the next day and make those changes? Because 
Lauren, you said it earlier. Our, our ancestors fought hard to have the right to vote. If you're out there and you don't vote, you need to vote. People gave up their lives for this. Now, should we have to do that? Should we have to give up our lives? Do, should we have to give up our freedoms um, and, and potentially be beaten or something to vote? No. But it is something to pay attention to. Um, to not take, um, I think it's the very first time in our lifetime, like to me, I'm just, you know, it's a nonpartisan thing. I think like, when have we, like I'm watching the media ask our sitting president, will you, you know, if you lose, will you give up the office? And I'm thinking, when in the lifetime of my country have I ever heard any president actually ask this question as though it's a question that a president can get asked? Like some of the things that are happening right now are extraordinary. And Gary Offadal, you're watching me. So ask me a question so I can answer it. Um, by the way, hi, Gary. I'm waving at you right now. Um, anyway, like that, I, I think that's extraordinary is that... But I will, I have to say, I'm a little bit of a fam, a Jamil Bowie, because I'm walking, I was walking with a dear friend today who's a, an amazing woman and a woman of some wealth, and she's white. And she said, you know, this isn't the country I know. And I was like, this is exactly the country I know. You know, my body was evidence of a felony when I was born. So I also think that there is this neighborhood, this narrative, not neighborhood, um, <laughs> A, a gentrifying neighborhood, um, a narrative that also is that keeping people from voting, intimidating voters, um, saying that black and brown and poor people are going to ruin your neighborhood if they move in, um, that we shouldn't have the same rights, that saying that women's rights are human rights. We are that country. These aren't new things. I think just now we've gotten big enough and um, or have had enough black and brown people actually in positions of power, enough people to actually stop and say, well, no, this is exactly who this country is. Um, and, and that's a, a refrain that Jamal, uh, Jamel Bowie often says is that well, this is who we are. This is who, how we've always behaved. Um, and, and I, and so, but do you give up? Do you cower? Do you go curl up in a ball or do you work with people to build a more perfect union? And I think you build a more perfect union. Uh, well, I'll start with my response. Uh, well, I just like to use a quote from uh, Paul Robeson, who was a, a great African-American activist and everything else. He, he had like a thousand jobs, but Paul Robeson, great guy, you should read about him. But uh, he said at a HUAC hearing, which is the House on Un-American Activities Committee, he was called before them uh, by McCarthy to testify on un-American activities. He said, Quote, my father was a slave and my people died to build this country and I will not let any fascist minded people drive me from it, end quote. Uh, and yeah, this is as much my country as it is anybody else's. Uh, 
And when people say, if you don't like it, leave it, all I can really say is, eh, I'd rather you leave. <laughs> that'd, that'd be a much preferred option for me uh, because I was born here uh, and I plan to set this day and see what comes of it. Well, it's interesting. Do you know that my husband's father was called up in front of McCarthy's House on American Committee? I don't know if you know that. My grandfather was too. So we come back. Well, you know, on my very first date, I always tell that story is, you know, I said I was a pissed off militant black woman. And he said, I'm a pinko commie Jew. We have a long history of alliances. But my husband's father organized health care for workers in the mines in Wheeling, West Virginia in the 1950s. Um, and in fact, um, he brought in a black doctor to work in the mines and um, his little town of Shadyside, Ohio, literally, you know, they threatened to lynch him and stuff. So, um, you know, it's been a long, exhausting road um, and it's not ending anytime soon. That's what I got to say. <laughs> I was just going to say um, very quickly that in the comments, um, if you're in Minnesota and you need a, a ride to vote um, or you need someone to deliver your ballot, there's a group, uh, Minnesota Interfaith Power and Light, um, they may be able to support. So just click on the link and fill out the survey if you need help. And I know for people uh, who need their ballot delivered, you have to call them by noon on Tuesday, noon tomorrow. Um, so yeah, just putting that in there. Yeah, and, and you know, I wanna remind people that Google is your friend. You know, I don't always think the other night, my, my door, <laughs> this is true, the door to my basement oven room, I have a room with an oven in it in my basement called the oven room. And it got, it, it got shut so tight that we couldn't get it open. And so we were trying to get it open and we had a young person, Phil Shaw, over who you've met Phil, I think I remember um, he was on the show with us recently or not too long ago on the Asian episode that we did in um, uh, Carlo. Anyway, he immediately said, like, look up Google, you know, um, wherever you are in the country, because we have audience that checks in. Sometimes we have a thousand people who watch this or rewatch it or sit down and watch it after we tape or we record it on Facebook live and then we go to podcast and it's up on Thursday of this week so this will be after the election when you actually hear this episode if you listen to it um, on Spotify or iTunes but right now if you're watching us and you're watching us before the end of election um, in the state of Minnesota they ruled that even though the state had made a concession by the way the state of Minnesota just ruled last week that although the state election board had decided that um, as long as your ballot was postmarked on election day, that they would allow your ballot to come in. And just last week, basically that got overturned. So if you're in the state of Minnesota, you can't mail your ballot in by tomorrow. If you have not dropped a ballot off um you need to vote in person that's first thing to know so go to google for your own state right now and if you have not voted yet and you are maybe in from a vulnerable population learn what your options are 
Texas, as Carlo already said, only has one. And I was curious. I, I was one of those people who assumed that if you if you filled out your ballot, you could drop it by your own polling place. But no, that's not the way it is in most states. Most states, absentee ballots are run by counties and they go to a different place than your polling station. Um, and I, I have to say this, um, the one thing we haven't really mentioned is one of the reasons this is such a confounding year at the ballot box is that we are in the middle of a pandemic that is killing black and brown people at higher numbers than white people. And it's killing poor people at higher numbers than rich people. And it's killing people who work in the front lines as caretakers and the elderly. Um, and to see an entire political party try to make it harder to vote in the face of a pandemic is shocking to me. Um, and I don't think some of these issues should be partisan. I just don't even understand why we as a people couldn't have made it easier for people to vote. Why is a political party trying to strip 127,000 cast ballots in Harris County, which is Houston, um, when the county decided that people could vote in their cars. They had to show the same ID, you know, like, so we're suddenly learning. I think we're gonna whole, learn a whole lot about the strength of our democracy in the next few days. That's what I've got to say. And this isn't the first time that our voting practices have been challenged by an election, a contentious election. Uh, it's been challenged many times. The most recent one in memory is uh, Bush versus Gore. Uh, that is George Bush versus Al Gore, uh, in which the vote was so close in Florida that uh, Al Gore asked for a recount uh, for the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court deemed it uh, unnecessary, and in fact, unconstitutional to recount. Uh, and since then, there's been many, uh, there, there have been many reforms in the voting system. Uh, because it raised many concerns that people were not getting their fair share due to party uh, party bias in different sectors of the government. Uh, and if, you know, if the vote was wrongly skewed in one's favor, uh, then if the that party controlled the government, the party that had the vote skewed in their favor illegally or illegitimately, uh, then they would just ignore it uh, because it worked for them. It worked in their practical interests. Uh, and since then, there have been much reform uh, but the reform, of course, is still not enough because we're still facing these problems. We're still facing the issue where Texas has uh, one ballot box for uh, for one county, and you know, all again, all the more reason to vote. We're just this. That's that's the episode. Title it that. Itemizing why you should vote for one hour straight. For what or more? Mm -hmm. Well, I think speaking of that, I think it's time to go get dinner. Wherever you are in the world, please, in our country, vote. Voting is safe and in-person voting. Let me leave you with this thought and I'll let Lauren and Carlo say goodbye. In-person voter fraud or voter fraud of somebody in pretending to be somebody who's voting, who's a legitimate person is almost unheard of. 
it is. And if you think about it, it's a very inefficient way to steal an election. (laughs) And by the way, because it is a felony to do so, people aren't interested in doing it. It's an actually very, very silly way to steal an election. So the fact that we're buying into some of these narratives um, is something we should be paying attention to. And that's what I've got to say. Lauren and Carlo, take it away until next week. I can just hop in and say, stay safe wherever you are. Maybe (laughs) make a plan to be with people um, that that you're safe around tomorrow. Um, I think this summer has shown us that safety is uh, not guaranteed everywhere. And yeah, I just just wanna make sure that even if you are voting, that you're just aware of your surroundings, Um, but vote, it's important. It's, I don't, I don't think any of us can stress how important it is, um, but just be safe, do what you need to do to stay sane, and then be ready to get back to work. All right. It's definitely a peculiar thing in the United States where we have to say, uh, stay safe when you're going out to exercise your inalienable rights, but we do have to say it. Uh, because paramilitary groups, white nationalist groups like the Proud Boys are rising uh, and certain politicians are even encouraging them. Uh, And it can be unsafe for people who look like us to go out and vote. Uh, So, yeah, definitely have people you trust uh, and be safe when you're doing it. Uh, And be safe with the pandemic, of course, because that's still going on. I know it's annoying, but keep wearing your mask because people are dying. Uh, and vote. And vote. Thank you so much for another episode of Weather Together. I love you, my co-hosts and our producer, Lauren, my co-host, Carlo. I hope you were you found us an enjoyable interlude in your day. We'll be back at you. And let's talk about our... By the way, if you haven't heard the song yet, go listen. Have you heard Demi Lovato's song, Carlo? I don't believe so. It's called Commander in Chief. Um, And when we were going to do our whole episode, we should do an episode about protest songs because, um, you know, the fact is some of the ways that we get through these moments is with music. So on an upcoming podcast, we are going to be doing protest songs and go listen to Commander in Chief. That is my final sign out go listen to commander in chief by demi lovato um and i kind of love that you quote pericles and plato and i quote demi lovato don't you love that lauren (laughs) it's like okay the old 58 year old woman is like have you heard demi lovato and you're like let me tell you about plato i i think that's actually one of the funnest things about our conversations and um and we need more of this in the world right I love you guys. It's an honor to be working with you. Peace out. Vote!
no more It's drastic time for sure We need an antidote and a cure Cause do you really think Muhammad got a problem with Jehovah? We don't want war Imagine if every prophet was alive And current days amongst you and I You think they would view life like you and I do Or where they sit and contemplate on why Do we live this way? How them behave this way? We still live in primitive today Cause the peace of the destination in war can't be the way There's no way So people just be a woman, be a man Realize that you can change the world by changing yourself And understand that we all just the same So when I count to three, let's change for all and all for one.